welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. God bless you. Please grab your seats. Thanks, guys and girls back here. We'll get you back in just a little while. That'd be great. Didn't Jess and the team do a great job this morning? As did Terry Knight Bowl. You going well? Excellent. We are continuing, and it's become quite a long series in that we keep getting interrupted by all these incredible guest speakers that we have, which is fantastic, and tonight's you know, no exception. But um, we do want to uh, continue our series. That would be great. Um, and maybe Zander back there, if you can just bring me down a little bit, that would be great. We're up to part 15, believe it or not, of rebels, riots, and revolutionaries. And what I need you to know is that all of our messages are available on the website, free to download for you to get a hold of. That would be great. And this particular series that we're doing uh, is not an exegesis of the book of Acts. It's not a Bible study. It's not a line upon line study. It's simply an overview of some of the themes within the book of Acts. If we did a line upon line study, we would be here for year after year after year. But what we felt as an elder team is that we would present uh, Acts in its overview form, pick out some of the key thoughts and key themes, and hopefully uh, fall more in love with God, more in, lo- more in love with His Word, and be cha- changed and transformed and mobilized as a church. So that's the whole um, purpose behind this series. And uh, each week we have themed each message individually, and today's no exception. I've entitled today's message, Singing in the Pain. You may have heard the song, Singing in the Rain. Well, this is Singing in the Pain. And uh, I hope to be a little bit shorter in my teaching today so that we can actually spend some time just singing a little bit later on, which would be great. Because no matter who you are and no matter what you're experiencing in life, we all experience pain. Turn to the person next to you and say, you will experience pain. We all do. You can't avoid it. Whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, And probably the greatest pain of all is relational pain. And if I ask for a show of hands this morning, who's experienced relational pain? Don't show me your hands, but I'm sure every hand would go up because there's someone in our life who's hurt us and we've experienced pain from that hurt that they've bought. And here's the thing, it's usually those that are closest to us. I mean, the guy who cuts you off in the street on the car, yeah, he he, he might annoy you, but you soon forget about him. But the people that we live with, the people that we're closest to, the people that we see on a regular basis, we can experience great pain through the relationships that we keep. And I believe as a result of this pain that we experience, people are on a journey to find freedom from their pain. And unfortunately, the bad news is this, that's like an elusive goal. It's unachievable. Um, even if God healed you today of your physical pain, and you know, let's believe for that by all means, But here's the thing, there's more pain coming. So even if you get supernaturally healed and delivered from whatever pain you're experiencing right now, there's more pain to come. Sorry to disappoint, but that's just the way life is. And so it's finding freedom in your pain that I want to speak to you about today. And I believe the key to that is faith. And the story that we're about to read or the account that we're about to read is a story on faith. So let's read in Acts chapter 16, reading from verse 16. Whether you read from your 
iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, or whether you actually use pen and paper uh, like Danny Morton is, old school, uh, that's, that's up to you. I'm kind of keeping with the young people. I'm staying young. So uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16 says, Once they were going to a place of prayer where they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners telling the future. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God and they are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many, many, many days. Emphasis mine. Finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet, sorry, their feet, their feet in the stocks. Man, like with all portion of scripture, there's so much we can get from it. But the first thing I want to highlight this morning from this account is simply this, that faith faces the facts. Genuine faith, biblical faith, faces the facts. Here's the story in a nutshell. Paul and Silas, companions, ministers of the gospel. They go into a new city and they're on their way to pray. And this young girl comes up to them and harasses them. Now, I want you to picture this. A man being nagged by a woman for days. Can you picture that, men? All I can say about that is some things never change. Woman nags man for days. That's what's happening here. She's just going on and on and on and on. And she's harassing Paul and Silas. Can I just say as an aside, isn't it interesting, they're on their way to pray and they get distracted. How many of you have decided I'm going to pray and you get distracted? Just as an aside note, watch for the distractions when you set out to pray. Because just as God wants you to pray, the devil does not want you to pray. And he'll always bring distractions. It never ceases to amaze me that when the kids play up, it's just when you're about to pray. Or when something breaks down or goes wrong, it's when you're about to pray. And here's Paul and Silas, they've set themselves to pray and they get interrupted. There's a distraction. Watch for that. Because it will hinder your faith. And so here's this woman, she's nagging and hassling these men, and the reason she's hassling and harassing these men is because she herself is harassed and hassled. And I think we need to understand that. 
And, and, and as, as Christians, when people harass us and nag us and hassle us and put an imposition on us, instead of just making a judgment and stating the obvious that it's inconvenient, maybe we need to see beyond the hassling that they are doing of us and see the hassling that's going on in their life. And that's what I love about this story. Paul and Silas, they take time out. And Paul sees a young girl that's harassed. And so he's happy to help her. And he sets her free from this evil spirit. Can I say this? This woman had an evil spirit, but she was speaking the truth. Evil spirits can speak the truth. The Bible says the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And so here she was, possessed by a demon, and she's saying the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way that they must be saved. She wasn't lying, but she was harassed. And Paul sees that, and he takes time to deliver her and to heal her. And so he does a a random act of kindness. He does something good. He does something that's going to help the woman. But here's the thing. Something bad happens to them. Bad things happen to good people. Why? Because it does. It just does. Just because you do the right thing, it doesn't mean that people are going to respond correctly to you. But we should do the right thing nonetheless. So here's Paul and Silas. They've done a random act of kindness. They're helping a poor woman in need. They've done the right thing, but they're not getting applauded for it. And I believe one of the reasons this happens is because the good in us will expose the evil in others. And so as Paul does an act of kindness, it exposes something in the slave girl's owners because they didn't care for her at all. And it exposes things in people. And that's where the battle is. And that's why what we do isn't always received well. And if we can understand that, and if we can know that, maybe we won't react. And maybe we'll grow up and mature and become just a little bit more like Christ. Because faith, genuine faith, can face the facts instead of just giving up. Too many people are happy if things are going well. But Paul does something good. He gets stripped, flogged, beaten, and imprisoned. And genuine faith can face that. In Romans chapter 4, it says of Abraham that he was a man of faith. He's the father of our faith. And he said he faced the fact that his body was good as dead, but God had a promise. See, I'm over this nonsense where faith is this hyper faith where we don't say something bad in case something bad happens to us. Or we, we, we don't say that, you know, I've got a cold or I'm not feeling well because that's to confess something negative. Now, you know what? If you've got a cold, it's best just to face the facts. There's nothing worse than a Christian who's snotty nosed and they're, they're red eyed and they're sneezing and blubbering. And say, like, oh, you've been a little bit under, you know, you're a little bit sick, mate. No, 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 not at all. I'm the head, not the tail. Like, really? Do, do you know how that makes us look? Now, I don't believe you have to go on and on and on about it. But the simple acknowledgement, yeah, I felt better, is far more real. And that's what we exist as a church, just to be real. Yeah. 
I don't want this hyper faith. You're sick, mate. No, I'm not sick. Oh, you kidding me? And there's a whole movement that's birthed on that positive confession. I think our positive confession has to be based on reality. And so genuine faith can face the facts. Imagine Paul and Silas. Oh, you've landed yourself in jail. No, we're not in jail. We're not. And the guys, you're in jail. If you wanted to go down the shop right now, you couldn't because you're in jail. No, we're not in jail. We'll go to the shop there. No, I don't want to. No, you're in jail. By virtue of the fact that you are incarcerated in a small little room and you can't go anywhere else, you're in jail. And you've got to be able to face the facts because faith can face the facts and not waver through unbelief. And secondly, faith has a voice. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were crying, whinging and complaining as they faced the facts. Is that what it says? Paul turned to Silas and says, you poor old thing. And Silas turned to Paul and said, there, there, there. Does it say that? It doesn't. And if it did, we wouldn't be inspired. What inspires about the Bible is people overcome. And so when we have situations where we need to overcome, that, that's where the inspiration is going to come from when we get through it. If you want to inspire people, then you've got to have some things to go through in order to inspire them. And so it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I love this. I love this thought that Paul and Silas have been wrongly accused through doing an act of kindness. They've been stripped, beaten and imprisoned and they're not whinging or complaining. I mean, this could feed us for the rest of our days. That Paul and Silas are actually singing praise to God. See, it's easy to sing when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, this is what the Bible calls the testing of our faith. You know when you uh, were at school or are still at school or university and you'd work all year and you'd learn all year and you come to that time, that dreaded time, when you come to exam time. And exams were a little test. They were the opportunity to test what you've learnt during the year. That's what exams are for. And in order to know what you know, we need to separate you from everyone else. We need to take all the books away from you. We need to take all the, all the help and all the aids away from you to see what you know by yourself. And so when I was at high school, it was old school. We went to the main school um, assembly area. We sat at a little wooden desk with rows, with letters for the surname. So I sat under R. And, and you'd have the principal and the vice principal walking around with a cane, just tapping their leg. Just making sure no one was cheating, no one was talking, no one was passing any notes, no one was reading their palms. And you had to sit there alone. 
And it was there and then you worked out what you actually knew. Now, here's the difference. When we grow up and get out of school, the tests don't look like that. They don't look like rows and tables and pen and paper. But we are still very much tested on a daily basis. And so at this moment, Paul and Silas are sitting a test. They're sitting the exam. They've been in the revival meetings. They've been in the, the, the holy meetings where they're singing and praising and worshipping God and people are getting saved and healed. They've been in those meetings. Now, Paul, God strips, them all, strips that all away from us. Let's see what they've learned in that time. Let's see what they've learned in the good. Let's see what they've retained from all their reading and all their knowledge. And God strips away the friends, the music. He strips away all those things and they're in the prison alone. And it's there and then our faith is tested. And Paul and Silas start singing. And the moment Paul and Silas start singing, God gets excited. God's in heaven going, oh, they're passing the test. But what God doesn't realise, he starts jumping up and down. And that's what causes the earthquake. God starts tapping his foot to the music that the, uh, Paul and Silas are singing. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake in heaven and the prison doors fling open. Because God starts tapping his foot to the music that's being sung to him. And the joy that it brings to God is that these people are passing the test. Faith can face the facts, but faith has a voice. But here's the other thing. Fear also has a voice. Just as faith has a voice, so does fear. I can't. I won't. Nobody loves me. God doesn't love me. Why is it when we are tested... And we're all alone. The first thing we revert to is God doesn't love me. Why is it we think like that? You know, when I was at Hillsong recently, I just said this in the pre-service meeting that we had. One of the things that stood out to me, particularly with one of the speakers, was she was talking about forgiveness And she said, whenever I speak on this anywhere in the world, 80 to 90% of the people will respond and deal with their unforgiveness. And I thought, that's the problem. That's the problem with the church the world over, is that we haven't caught the basics yet. The basics of Christianity is forgiveness. It all hinges on forgiveness. By virtue of being a Christian, it's about receiving the forgiveness of God. And yet then we live for the rest of our lives with unforgiveness. It doesn't make sense. And I felt God speak to me and encourage me in that moment that while I don't know a lot, what I do know are the important things. I know this, that God loves me. Some of you know that God loves the world, but you don't know that God loves you. I know God loves me. And I never question that. No matter how stupid I am, no matter how much I mess up, and I've done some really dumb things. And, and a lot of my mistakes aren't just the ones behind the shelter shed where no one saw me. I'm talking about in front of you people. I've made lots of mistakes, but I've never questioned the love of God. I don't have unforgiveness towards anybody. I just live at peace. Because I have this revelation that I offended Jesus more than I've ever, anyone's ever offended me, and he forgives me. 
And by virtue of that, I forgive everybody. Because he forgives me. And it's these basic doctrinal truths that can set you up for an incredible life. And if we never fully understand what the meaning of the red horse and the black horse in Revelation really is, you know what? It doesn't matter. If you can get a hold of the fact that God loves you, that God forgives you, you have security. There's so much insecurity in the body of Christ. You just actually live secure. You won't be trying to impress and please everybody. People often say, man, I love coming here because you, you, you say it as it is. That's because I'm not trying to impress everybody. I just want to speak the truth. And these basic doctrinal truths can set you free. So faith has a voice. What happens in you is more important than what happens to you. And God is so interested in your development and your maturity that he'll let all sorts of things happen to you in order that something might work in you and you become more like him. And so faith has a voice. And just as again, as an aside, it says of the other prisoners that they were listening. Paul and Silas are singing and others were listening. Whatever comes out of your mouth, I want you to know this, others are listening. So when you leave church, you say, that stupid pastor, what the hell would he know? People are listening. And what people are listening to that comes out of your mouth will determine whether they're going to take your life seriously and the Christian message seriously. People are listening to us all the time. had a great story just this week. A woman watches a Christian television program and runs to the police station because she's so convicted. She didn't know where to go or what to do. She ran to a police station and told the constable, "Um, I've been watching this program and I feel convicted. What do I do? The policeman didn't know. But there was a person in our church who was on duty that night. And what a great God. How great is our God? How great is our God? Why do we quickly give up so easily? Brings me to my third point that faith is a doorway to freedom. Says in verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, he said this, don't harm yourself, we're all here. See, this is, this is where we're getting into real Christianity now. This jailer, who was possibly one of the guys beating Paul, possibly one of the guys jeering Paul, Paul would have well been in his right and think, yeah, you go ahead and kill yourself. After all, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. Says He could have justified, based on Scripture, just let the guy kill himself. But yet again, Paul's seeing another little test. 
So I think, I wonder, if, I wonder if Paul just let him kill himself based upon Scripture. And Paul, full of faith, says, don't harm yourself. The Word of God is rich. This is, you know, what, what, what's Christianity? This is Christianity. Singing praises to God when you've been falsely accused for doing good. And then when God vindicates, Paul still steps in and says, don't hurt yourself. I think God's just like super excited now. The Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. And here's Paul exercising faith, saying, don't harm yourself. I love that thought. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. See, the thing about freedom, true freedom, biblical freedom, it's not a place. True biblical freedom is a person. Paul was freer in stocks and chains in jail than the jailer was. Paul was freer in stocks, chains, and jail than those who are sleeping around doing their own thing. He's freer. Because he's met the one who sets you free. He's met Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, this is the mystery that was revealed to the Gentiles. The mystery is this, it's Christ in you. That's the mystery. That's, what the, that's the mystery the whole world is searching for. It's this one thing, Christ in you. It's not Christ and you. It's not like Jesus needs me. No, it's Christ. It's Christ. It starts and finishes with him. Freedom is found in him. It's not Christ and the church. It's not Christ and volunteering. It's not Christ and singing. It's not Christ and church attendance. It's not Christ and tithing. It's just Christ in you. But the authenticity of Christ in us causes us to do all those other things. But true freedom is found in Him. Not through serving Him. Not through giving a tenth of your income. Not through being a good husband or a good wife. You can do all of that and still be in bondage. Nothing surpasses or is a substitute for a genuine relationship with Christ. And whether the world will admit it or not, the whole world is on a search for this mystery. There's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. And that thing that we're missing, that thing that we desire, that thing we want, cannot be filled. I don't know if you remember growing up, and if you're my generation, you'll remember this really well, that little Tupperware toy that was red on one side, blue on the other, and two yellow handles. Had all these little yellow shapes on the inside. And you get this square hole and this round shape. and trying to... The whole world is trying to get this round peg in a square hole. 
and they're exhausted. I remember as a kid, go in, you stupid thing. Mom, this is broken. Get no, 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 you just got to get in the right place. The God-shaped hole in you can only be filled by God. It can't feel, be filled with sex, drugs, rock and roll. It can't be filled with whatever. And you will exhaust yourself. You will wear yourself out. You will run yourself ragged trying to get that round peg in a square hole. There's only one way to true freedom. is to have Christ. The fourth point I had, and I'm just going to quickly skim over it for the sake of time, is that faith without works is dead. Paul not only saves a jailer from killing himself, but he speaks the gospel to him. And then the jailer cares for the wounds more than likely he inflicted on Paul. See, genuine faith, faith that's real, alive and active, can be seen. James says, you show me your works, you show me your faith, I'll show you my I'll show you my faith by what I do. Faith without works is dead. Interestingly enough, when the owners of the slave girl saw that she was no good for making money, they discarded her. We must never allow Things, material things, to get in the way of our relationship with God or others. The love of money, it's true, is the root of all evil. They love money more than they love this little girl. They didn't care for her. And the way I believe that we can really impact our world is have a live, vibrant, Active faith that could be seen and heard by others. See, when people say, I don't have to go to church, you're right. You're right. When, when this slave girl said, Your servant's the most high God, she was right, but it was coming from a wrong spirit. When you say, I don't have to go to church, you're right, but it's coming from the wrong spirit. I'm, I'm prophesying now. Listen to me. You're right, but it's not coming from the right spirit. And you need to be delivered from that. You're right. You don't have to tithe. You, as a Christian, you do not have to give a tenth of your income. You don't. It's true. You're right, but it's coming from the wrong spirit. As a Christian, you can see someone in need and you can walk by. You don't have to stop and help them. You're right. You're absolutely 100% right. It's the truth. You don't have to stop and help them. But it's not the right spirit. A spirit of faith gets involved. A spirit of faith puts his hands up and says, here I am. How can I help? And it's important that we understand that. Because you don't want a church full of works, people trying to work for their salvation. But we want people in love with God. 
in the midst of pleasure or in the midst of pain, but is unwavering in their faith. Because we understand what true Christianity is all about. See, our response is ultimately going to determine how others respond. The response of Paul to the jailer determined the response of the jailer to Paul. He's so overwhelmed with act of kindness. He, in turn, takes care of Paul. When some of the precious ladies of this church gave some meals to Norm and his family, his response was, I, I want to give something back. We didn't make him do that. He wasn't obligated. Did, did Norm have to do that? No. It's coming from a spirit of faith. If our musicians can come, that'd be great. I think the best way to respond to this message is for us just to sing in our pleasure or in our pain. Just to sing. Because the mandate of this church, and maybe we can make this a catch cry of our church, we're here to help. We're here to help those that have need. We're here to help those who are hurting. Paul, in his beaten, battered and bruised state, says to the jailer, don't hurt yourself. This world is full of people that are hurting themselves. Mentally, physically, financially. And we have this incredible opportunity to help people in need. God forbid that church for you becomes that thing you tick off. I did that Sunday, done. Done my Christian thing. That, that's not your Christian thing. The Christian thing is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body and soul and to worship him in pleasure and in pain, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty. Let's stand. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.